Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that Why article is was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want, want to know, know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Every Girl Podcast. Emma, how we doing? <laughs> I am doing well. Um, last night, I saw this TikTok that I wanted to send to you, but I didn't because I felt like we had already communicated too much yesterday before the work boundaries. Yeah, it was like, I need to set this boundary. But I saw this TikTok of this girl and I was like, this is so Josie. It was like a fit check video, more or less. And she was like, sometimes when I'm, you know, walking down the street, I get like an up and down stare from a girl. And sometimes I would think that would be hostile. But I've switched my mindset and now it's just, I think she's looking at my outfit and wondering where everything is from. It's all about <laughs> the mindset. That is so funny, Emma. It gives you vibes to be like, you know what? Actually, no one's ever given me an up and down stare that's been hostile. It's all been admiration, which is true. In college, I used to think if I like thought a guy was cute, but he wasn't reciprocal, which happened very oh, yeah. few times, might I say. <laughs> But when it would happen, I obviously wouldn't feel this, but I would tell myself, Josie, it's because you're so hot that he's intimidated. And I would force myself to think that instead of going to the spiral of I'm not hot enough, which, again, I did many a time. And that's like really what I was feeling. But I stared in the mirror and I said, Josie, you get your shit together. You are not going to feel bad about this guy not hitting on you. It is because you're too hot for him. I'm like looking in the mirror with like pimple patches and being like, you're hot, Josie. (laughs) This is all in the realm of the Delulu girl. I'm in my Delulu girl life. Like, it is not an era. Yeah. It's the lifestyle. All right, Emma, shall we dive into Ask the Every Girl today? I'm excited for the question. Okay, this week's question is, I've been more stressed out than I have been in a long time. Work feels overwhelming and everything else is piling up. I feel like every single day is so busy. Is there anything I can do to feel less stressed? I feel like we need a Zodiac expert to write in and explain what the fuck is going on (laughs) in the stars right now, because I do feel like everybody is in this place where we're completely unhinged. Yeah. I don't know anyone who's like doing well. No, no, I do not know a person in my network who is doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) They're all flailing around asking for help. This is our super busy time at the Evergirl. You know, we're working on our gift guide. But then all my friends in other industries are just like, what the actual? Yeah, same. Oh, I'm glad that you picked this question because, God, I mean, I need someone to answer this question. A few years ago, I got so burnt out 
And I really had to look at myself and be like, you got to figure this out. Like, not go on like this. And so I, I did a lot of work to change my body's relationship with stress. And I will explain how I did that. But I appreciate this question because I feel like recently it's been the first time in a few years where I'm like, all right, I'm feeling like I need to have another little check in with myself and mm -hmm. reassess my body's relationship to stress. So this comes at a great time for me. So thank you, Emma, for picking this question. And thank you, of course, the person who asked this question. So, um, God, I'm going to have another really long answer. I'm trying to keep these nice and short, but I'm like, oh, I have so much to say. Busy does not have to equal stress. We are in a culture that very much thinks because you're busy equals stress. That is actually not true. Stress is the body's response to a potential threat being present so that the body's able to fight or flight. You know, we've all heard of that. The body stress mechanism is fight or flight. That literally is an evolved system in the body to allow you, if you were being attacked by a tiger, to either run away or to fight the tiger. That's what cortisol is doing is allowing all of the different parts of your body to be able to activate, whether it's through adrenaline, whether it's allowing the blood flow to go to your limbs so you're able to fight, like all these crazy mechanisms in the body. Because we're not regularly dealing with a tiger chasing us, our stress threshold is that we are perceiving packed schedules and work deadlines as threats, but they're not. We're not going to die if we don't get a work deadline. We are in no immediate danger of life, but the body doesn't know any differently because, again, it's our stress threshold. So it's how we're perceiving stress. So if you're not being attacked by a tiger, sure, you're going to think that a packed workday and a ton of meetings is stressful because that's your threshold. The body doesn't know any differently, though. So you're perceiving stress and then the body is viewing that perceived stress as there's a threat present. I got to run away or I got to fight. So what mm -hmm. I've had to do is train my body to feel safe. Even when work or my schedule feels overwhelming, I train my body to know that just because I'm super busy, just because I have a lot of things on my to-do list, does not mean that my body has to react. So what that means is relaxing the shoulders, releasing tension from the body, like realizing where you're tensing up. For me, it's a lot of shoulders or hips, taking deep breaths. All of these things take the body out of fight or flight so that you're literally telling your body, no, 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 we don't need to trigger the fight or flight response. There is no threat present. We're good. Another thing I tell myself a lot is I am safe. And I have to like, force yeah. that into my head all the time. Like when I realized this actually happened this, this week on Tuesday, we had multiple interviews, so much to do with gift card. There were so many things on my to-do list. I started feeling the like panic in your chest a little bit where you're like, oh, yeah, do like. I, I realized I was doing that. I stopped and I was like, I'm safe. There is no threat. Yeah. I'm not in danger. I am safe. And that is literally telling the body, just because I'm busy, just because there is so much to do, does not mean that I'm in threat. There is no threat present. So I'm training my body to realize the to-do list does not have to equal stress. That's a great affirmation. It helps with anxiety a lot, too. Like, I have such bad health anxiety that I know I've talked about this. That affirmation helps me a lot with health anxiety. A few other thoughts on this, because I know that most people's response and maybe what this person was asking for was more of like the self-care routines and like things to do to de-stress. But the way I think about it is when you are busy, the last mm -hmm. thing you want to hear is other people saying, take a bubble bath, do a 30-minute meditation. That's the last thing you want to hear. That's going to add more stress when you feel like right. 
I got to do more. And then inevitably, when you don't get to the bubble bath or the meditation, you're like, that's another thing that I failed at. And then that just adds yeah. stress. So the way that I view stress is really treating it and understanding it from what it's doing in your body and taking no time at all. It's more of the mentality. It's more of how you're dealing with stress, your mindset related to stress in the minute. So a couple more things that I've learned that has changed my relationship with stress, one of them being a psychologist, Emily Nagowski, Nagowski, I, I hope I'm saying her name right. She talks a lot about completing the stress cycle. So how she explains the stress cycle is when the body releases cortisol, again, the body goes into fight or flight mode, which means the body is meant to exercise. It's meant to move. Yeah. But when you're sitting at your desk feeling this chronic release of cortisol, but you're not moving, the body's like, well, I guess we got to keep releasing the cortisol. So in her opinion, that's what's leading to all this chronic stress because people are not fighting or flighting like the body thinks it's supposed to. It's holding on and harboring all the stress. So something that she recommends is to just do a couple jumping jacks. Oh my God, I'm going to start doing that. Literally, <laughs> I've done that, Emma, and it has changed my life because you immediately feel the stress relief because your body is literally like, okay, what I was releasing cortisol for is done. That's been a really helpful one, completing the stress cycle by moving. And again, it can literally be three jumping jacks. It doesn't have to be like some intense simple. workout, right? And also if you're dealing with chronic stress, be careful of not doing too much exercise. Then it can cause too much cortisol if you're dealing with chronic cortisol. So my opinion would be rest, trust your body. But when you are in moments of stress, mm -hmm. go for a walk if you can, or just do a couple jumping jacks at your desk. The last thing that I think has been a game changer for me to understand the body's mechanism and how stress is working in the body is from Dr. Mindy Peltz, who talks about the hormone hierarchy. I've talked about this on the podcast before, actually, is how much like cortisol and happy hormones affect the reproductive cycle. So I've talked about it in that capacity, but in the capacity about stress, right above cortisol in the hormone hierarchy is oxytocin. So it kind of works mm -hmm. like a teeter-totter a little bit where like when you increase oxytocin, you lower cortisol. What is oxytocin? It's the love hormone, the bonding hormone. So that could be anything like hugging your friend, cuddling with your dog, bonding with someone, being with friends. Like the love hormone literally lowers cortisol. That's literally its mechanisms. Like I love a bubble bath. I love a meditation. But if you want the biggest bang for your buck, go have fun. And I know I've said that on the podcast before, but I, again, when it comes to like tackling stress, it's less about adding more things to your to-do list. And it's more about just changing your body's relationship with stress. So your body feels safe, training it to understand, getting the kids to school, a super busy work day, traffic, bacon burning on the stove is not actually danger. Well, actually bacon on the stove could be dangerous. <laughs> By that fire and then realize you're not in danger. I think that to me has been the biggest game changer. And like I said, wow. I needed that, that check in this week. So I appreciate that because I needed to get back into the mindset of like, just because I'm busy does not have to make me stressed. That is so interesting. That's just such a like, you approach it from such a, I mean, obviously you're a wellness editor. So duh, but like such a composed physical angle, like you forget to treat yourself, especially in times of extreme stress, you forget to treat yourself like an animal almost yeah no it's so true with needs like biological needs when we are in this heady space of stress it can be difficult to remember that we have a body it has needs and addressing those needs will probably lower our stress i love that you 
say it like that because it's so true. We so often forget to pay attention to our bodies. We know to pay attention to our bodies and like, oh, I'm hungry or I'm supposed to go work out. But what is our body actually doing? Like we are not just this person in a brain that has all these meanings. We're a physical human body. And I think it's also helpful because a lot of times when people feel anxiety or stress, it can kind of be like, oh, my body is against me. Or even when we like, you know, we all have the experience where we get really sick after we're really stressed out and it's like, my body's against me. In reality, your body is trying to be like, hello, we are on your side. Like this stress response, yeah. you survive. Your body wants you to survive. That's why it's really yeah. cortisol. That's why you're feeling stress. So looking out for your body and being like, thank you, body. You're doing what you are supposed to do to keep me alive. You're doing your job. It's on me to change how I'm perceiving stress so that you no longer feel like we're in danger. Yeah. But tell me what works for you, Emma. Like when you get stressed out, are there things that you do that help? I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I've been in periods of extreme stress that have led to me getting very sick before. And practicing that gratitude for my body, for giving me that signal, not only that I need to possibly change my relationship to stress. But honestly, also, in some cases, it has been an indication that I need to take something off my plate. And that can be really hard. I think so many of us have built in this idea that we need to be doing everything all the time. And so admitting to ourselves that we might need to ask for an extension on one deadline or take one thing off our to-do list is so, so difficult. Practicing that self-forgiveness has made the biggest difference for me in terms of my stress levels because it's just rolling back that perfectionism a teeny tiny bit. I like chronically overwrite my to-do list and I've learned this about myself and it used to really stress me out. Like my to-do list would send me into a stress spiral because I would be like, oh my gosh, I have to achieve all of this today. Now I let one thing go. I don't know what it's going to be when I write the to-do list, but I know that there's going to be one thing that I don't get to. And it's like an endless practice of self-forgiveness for letting that one thing slide to the next day. I love that because I accidentally do that. I'm doing that (laughs) not intentionally by never getting to one thing, but then it makes me feel like, oh, I didn't get to that one thing. And then you're mad about it. But I like that you're being so intentional about being like, I don't need to get to everything. It's okay. I can do this tomorrow. Even if it isn't on your work to-do list, like maybe on your to-do list, you have do laundry today. And the fact that you might not get to it, you just have to be okay with it at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. So what if I wear dirty leggings? Again, no threat present. I'm safe. Wearing dirty leggings isn't going to kill me. Well, unless they're like really dirty, then you yeah. Like, well, I'm you figure that wash out. your clothes. Let's take the day off. Wash your clothes. Like if we're worried about the bacteria level. <laughs> That's Hopefully, it doesn't level. I love it. Wow, this has made me feel less stressed. Yeah, I'm calm. I'm, I'm zen. Zen. I'm <laughs> zen. On that note, let's get into yeah. our interview. Our guest today is for all of the career girlies. Lauren McGoodwin is the founder and CEO of Career Contessa, an online career resource for women and a top career podcast. Over 10 years ago, she left her job recruiting for Hulu after realizing that women now made up over 50% of the workforce, but there was a major gap in resources, advice, and help for women to get ahead. 
advocate for themselves, interview better, network smarter, and achieve their dream careers. So she started that herself. Lauren is also author of Power Moves, How Women Can Pivot, Reboot, and Build a Career of Purpose. For our episode today, I asked Lauren to share the five best pieces of career advice she has ever heard because I knew that after 10 years of focusing only on women's careers and interviewing the top career experts for her podcast, she would be the perfect person to ask for streamlined, narrowed down top advice that she has heard in 10 years. And these tips do not disappoint. I won't spoil them for you, but they are truly invaluable tips that I have never heard anywhere else. This is the conversation you need to listen to, especially if you're going into end of year, when you'll be reviewing your goals. Maybe you have a performance review, or maybe you just want to close out the year in your own business as strong as possible and take it to the next level. Also, you can catch me on the Career Contessa podcast as well. That one is going live in a couple of weeks. So look out for my episode on Lauren's podcast. We talk about my career and I give the best wellness advice that I've heard from guests on our podcast that will help you level up in life, be more productive, and ultimately be happier. So make sure to listen when that one comes out. Lauren McGoodwin will help you achieve the career of your dreams. Now let's dive into her conversation on the Evergirl podcast. I'm curious to hear a little bit about your background and how you got passionate about helping women level up in their career. What made you start Career Contessa and write Power Moves? I graduated college in 2009. If you guys can remember, 2009 was not the best year to graduate college and <laughs> be looking for a job. No. So I knew I had to hit the pavement and, and start running early. So I was going to the Career Center a lot. I was quote unquote, doing everything right. I still graduated with no job, no prospects, and very bummed about it. Eventually did land a job as an administrative assistant working for a university and just absolutely hated the job. I basically became obsessed with career development because I was stuck in a job I hated and I, I didn't want to do that forever. And so through that kind of exploration, I was talking to pe a lot of people. I was trying to figure out what is it that I want to do. Long story short, I figured out through a random work assignment that recruiting was the career for me. I was like, oh, this is what I'm meant to be. And ended up reaching out to about 70 people on LinkedIn to have informational interviews to learn more about recruiting. About 30 of them got back to me. So if you're doing the math, that's a less than 50% acceptance rate. So keep sending those informational <laughs> interview requests if you're going to reject it. And I'm really fortunate because the 30 people who got back to me were able to teach me a lot about recruiting, give me insight into what skills were needed. That got me the job working at Hulu. And I always tell people I became a recruiter at Hulu, not because I had prior experience, but I was able to back up so well in that interview, why I wanted the job, how I could add value for them, connect the dots between what I was doing and what this job needed. They loved the fact that I had all these informational interviews to try to learn more about the role. And, you know, I, I can tell you that the job doesn't always go to the most qualified candidate. A lot of times it goes to the candidate who was able to communicate their value the most. And once I was at Hulu and I actually was able to see what it's like to be on the other side of the hiring table, I was like, wow, everything I've been told is totally wrong. Why is there not a career resource? So this was all happening. I was working at, at Hulu. I had had this tough transition. I was also going through a master's program and I was getting ready to write my thesis. So I wrote my thesis on millennial women and career resources because at the time in 2011, 2012, there was no lean in. There was no girl boss. And what I knew from my research for my thesis is that, is that millennial women were going to be the first generation where there was going to be more of us in the workforce than any other previous generation of females. I was really stuck on that. I was like, there's no career resource out there that helps us 
get insight into how to land a job, be better at our jobs, navigate tough conversations. They were treating career advice like it applied to everybody the same way. And we all know that we are all not treated equal. And there is a lot of equity that is still missing for women, people of color, minorities in the workplace. And so Career Contessa was this prototype that I created during my thesis. The university actually gave me a grant to actually create the very first version of it. I made it during my lunch breaks. I thought I was going to leverage Career Contessa into a new job opportunity, and it became my job because I was so passionate. I think a lot of us can probably relate to this. We've been raised with this belief that we can do it all, we should do it all. And we get to this first unscheduled portion of our life, and it's a very hard transition. And then there's more and more transitions that come from that. So Career Contessa was started to be a a big free online career resource for women who are navigating any stages of their career. We're not just a job site. We are a career site. And the goal is that we can help you through every stage. I like to think that I have the best job in the world because my job is to help other people be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful in theirs. What I've learned, and I'm sure you've learned this tenfold, but it seems like the best businesses, the best careers happen almost by accident. I I don't think I've ever interviewed a founder that said, I wanted to launch a business. So I thought this would be a good business. And I launched it. They've all been like, there's a need that I'm passionate about helping people fill. Speaking of women in the workplace, we've had many women come on to discuss the experience of being a woman in the workplace. We've had Jennifer Justice talk about how women are underpaid. Kendra Scott talked about her experience being a female CEO. We've had all these people talk about the challenges of being a woman in business. I'm really curious, though, both for you and your personal experience and all of the amazing people that you've gotten to interview, what has your experience been? Did you feel disadvantaged being a woman? And do you think that there's benefits to being a woman that we don't talk about as much in, in the workplace? Back when I was working for somebody else, I don't think I had enough knowledge or vocabulary to have those thoughts. Like, did I not get that promotion because I'm a woman? Are they not taking me seriously because I'm 26? Do they think that I'm going to have a kid in a few years so I don't deserve to advance? Like, I don't think I even got that far in my thinking. I can tell you now the people who are joining the workforce now and are 26 in their career right now are way more knowledgeable about this than I was at this point. I think Looking back, maybe some of those things were true, but I didn't feel that at the time. Do we still need to fight for equity and fair pay, fair performance reviews? I mean, there's there's so many things that are not equal for women in the workplace. And it could be as little as like, they're not given as specific of feedback as men are. It can be big things like you're not paid the same as somebody for doing the exact same job. Right now, as a new mom, I'm obviously really passionate about the fact that there are companies who are not supporting working parents and there is no federal child care support for working parents. And I recognize that is a huge missing piece. And what I find really interesting is now that we have more hybrid and flexible remote jobs, they'll have these reports come out that are like, we're shocked that more women are in the workplace considering so many left during COVID. It's like during COVID, we had no child care. Literally, they could not do two things at once. Now people are maybe have their kids back in childcare and because of flexible and hybrid and remote work, they're able to have a job and do those things. So it it amazes me that people are shocked that if you make work work for everybody and not just pale males, then (laughs) wow, shocker, people do want to work and they do have ambition and they do create great things. And there are better results for the organizations that actually have more diversity with who they hire. I think now I'm so thick in it that I'm sort of having these like, well, duh, can't believe you're shocked by that. But back then I didn't have that. I didn't have that knowledge and it just didn't exist. Like that wasn't what 
the headlines were about back then. Well, there was no career contessa. Yeah. <laughs> so you just accept the norm. You're, you're not really questioning yes. the norm. And I, I totally. think it's it's amazing how much we're talking about it and the resources that are out there now for women. There's still the gender gap going on. There's still a lot of inequity, but it's also like this unconscious bias that even we as women, I think, experience. Like when we see a female boss, we're more likely to think, oh, she's either bossy or she's too nice. So yes. she'll let me do whatever I want. Even ourselves, even as women who are like, screw the glass ceiling, fuck the patriarchy, like even us still have an unconscious bias. I mean, look, society got us good and we're not going to erase all of that in a split second. And I do find that. I remember when Me Too was happening, people were like, oh, are you getting tons of stories? And I was like, oh, we're getting some that are, trust me, they're not great. But we're also getting stories of people saying, I don't have a male boss that does this, but I have a female boss who abuses the power that they have as my boss, who believes that they didn't have anyone helping them. So it should be just as hard for me. Being a working woman is really hard. And I think all women work. I don't care if you are a quote, stay at home mom. It is just hard out there. And I think that there's things that you can control. And then there are things that are big things. We need policy change for these things. We need societal norms to change. We need more co uh, conversations and training about conscious and unconscious bias. There are some really big things. And one of the messages I like to send to women a lot is like, if it's hard, it's not your fault. I think women for a long time got this message where it's like something's broken. You just need to fix yourself because you're probably not working hard enough. And if you were had done this, then that thing wouldn't happen. I do not believe that for a second anymore. I do not think our job is to turn ourselves into DIY projects to, to make everything better for everybody else. There are women who I know go into workplaces and when they're interviewing for a job, they ask them point blank, what is the work-life balance here? What is your hybrid work policy? What are the expectations? And people were afraid to ask those questions before. And so I think there's some good things happening. I still think there's a lot of things that need to happen, obviously, to make the workplace truly an equitable place for everybody. But there's been some good stuff that's happened. Just in the 10 years that I've been running Career Contessa, I have seen progress. I also feel like sometimes we make some progress and we go back. Two steps forward, one step back. And that's sort of what I'm seeing. So I try to say, let's focus on what you can control without the message of shaming you and judging you and telling you there's only one way to do it. When the girl boss era was really big, the flip side of this was everybody lead your organization. The only way to be happy and fulfilled in your career is to start your own business and to be an entrepreneur. I can tell you put like as an entrepreneur and it's extremely challenging and that is not the case. I loved working for an organization. It comes down to a lot of things that make an organization the right fit for you, aligned with your values. But I didn't like that message either. And so the pendulum some, sometimes can swing too far one way and too far the other way before we come back to, to finding this happy middle ground, which remote work, flexible work, hybrid work, employers who are engaged in their employees' wellness. And we don't need ping pong tables. We need management training so managers know how to give feedback. Like that would truly be way more valuable than a free lunch every day. You know, just that alone. I'm laughing at the ping pong table thing because that's so true. There's all these like startups that are like, we're a cool place to work for. We have happy hours every Thursday, but what's your work culture like? like yeah, but we this. expect you to read yeah. <laughs> and basically right. sleep more <laughs> yeah. and give up your family to work here. But you just gave a really great tip, actually, that it, it's interesting. I've never even thought of this, but before going to a job, asking what is your work-life balance? What are the benefits that you offer beyond just healthcare? What other things can I expect? Because that gives you a good idea of, are they going to be the company that's expecting you to show up at 6am every day and then work until you're exhausted and burn out? Or are they the company that's like, we understand 
that in order to get the best work from you, we want you to have a fulfilling life outside of work. Yeah. I think those are the best companies. The best retention rates are obviously the companies that know to get the best work from our employees, they need to not be burnt out. They need to go on vacation, be with their families because the next day they're going to come with all these ideas. They're going to be refreshed. They're going to have the energy. That is just like a smart business decision. The other companies will continue to have high turnover. They won't be able to hire the best talent. Again, to your point, one makes really good business sense to take care of your people and they are able to bring them best selves to work, their creativity, their problem solving skills, collaboration skills. That's necessary. 100%. When I talked to Kendra Scott, she had some really interesting insight on this that I will never forget. And she said that she sees being a woman in business as a superpower because she's able to have this innate empathy that a lot of male leaders are not able to have or just not as ingrained in them because as women, we're ingrained to be empathetic from the time we're born. So she says that that's a superpower because then she's breeding this culture within her company where people feel heard, people feel respected, she cares about their personal lives, and those are our superpowers. I think our culture is shifting from what it used to be of like the work really hard and like grind your way to the top, and it's just becoming more you get the best work from less time when you are able to be in a safe environment, when you are held, when you are supported. And when you are able to have balance so that you're not reaching burnout. Absolutely. And the top performing teams, it's not because they have one top performer. It's because the entire team performs really well together. Those are also superpowers for women is collaboration, teamwork, empathy, listening skills. These are all the things you need for a team to work well together. You can have one or two top performers. Great. But that's, that's not as powerful as top performing teams. And I find that a lot of companies or even departments or teams that are managed by women. There's a lot of that. And and on the flip side, we'll say I really feel for women managers and middle managers because it's a really tough role to be in the middle of top leadership and the people below you. I would love to see more career coaching and leadership training given to managers at all levels, not just at the top levels. And I think the shift is what is it that I need to be successful here? I'm getting a lot more clarity on what that is. And now I'm asking for that. And if a company is offering it or if it's a no-go, that also tells you a lot about the culture right away. So people do pay attention to that. You have been so lucky to interview some of the most successful people, get top career advice. I would love for you to share the top five tips that have stood out to you the most in the time that you've done career contests. It can be anything from building wealth to asking for promotion to gaining confidence, networking, like any of the tips that you think can make the most difference in our listeners' life. So what is the first impactful tip, the first thing that comes to mind for you? Okay, so I, similar to you, have the best job with the Craving This a Podcast. I get to interview all these experts, people who literally spend their lives studying these things. And so I've narrowed it down. Then the first tip I would share is each job you should either earn or learn. Both is best, but you should either be earning there or learning there. I think that that is a really good gut check. A lot of people stay in jobs because they're like, oh, it's not that bad or it's not bad enough for me to leave. Or they might be asking themselves, is it time to leave this job? They're just in this sea of uh, ambiguity and I don't know. And so one of the ways that I would encourage you to filter whether this is the right job for you is, are you earning a lot here or are you learning a lot here? And if you're not doing either, it's time to get out of there. If you're doing both, then that's great. Stay there, have some more conversations with your boss. 
think about your overall career growth, but you're getting some of the big things. Too many people also will say, well, I'm earning a lot, even though I'm not learning anything. I'm earning so much that it makes it totally well. That might be the stage of your career. There are certain chapters in, in the book of your life where you're like, that's what I really need right now. And there's nothing wrong with that to be like, I'm not really learning a lot, but you've seen this trend like lazy girl jobs and all this stuff that I don't really love it because I've never heard of a lazy boy job. But anyway, that's good other conversation. Point. Good point. But uh, there are times in your career where that totally makes sense for you. But that's just something for you to think about right now. Are you learning in your job currently? What are you learning? Are you earning? Are you being paid fairly and compensated with the market value rate of your role? If not, it's time to examine those things. It's measuring the energy input and output, but you know, like knowing how yeah. much you're putting into work, does it equal energy that you're receiving back either through what you're earning through physical money or through an energetic exchange of I'm learning a lot, so it's worth it, or I'm getting so much experience and ideally being both. So I love that yeah. checking in with making sure that the input and output is always even. Number two is learn how to self-advocate. It's very important that your contributions are perceived and received. Meaning I might accept all your amazing work, but I'm not, I'm not telling you about it. I am not even acknowledging it. So recognition. One of the things I think is really hard about self-promotion or self-advocacy is that people feel like it's bragging. It's not a natural thing for me to talk about myself and talk about the work that I do. I would really encourage you to reframe this. If you need to, tell yourself, this is not about me talking about personally how amazing I am. This is me talking about my work. So make it about your work versus being personal. Sometimes I find that reframe can really help people self-advocate more. The other thing I heard this example before with somebody I interviewed on my podcast, Liz Weissman, she says, you want to self-advocate like a really good waiter at a restaurant. And let me explain her story. So she'll say, let's say you go to a restaurant at the airport and you know you got to catch a flight and the waiter comes in and they take your order and you're struggling with your toddler. You're worried about the time and they bring your meal. It's packed up. They say, I saw that you might need to catch a flight. So not only did I pack your meal, I put extra coloring stuff in there for your kid. It is very impressive. It's like they're working in the background, but they're also making sure that you know all the amazing work that they've done for you. So think like a waiter, like a really good waiter will do all this stuff in the background to make it easier for you or better for you. But then they let you know, matter of factly, I did these things for you. And they usually do it right before you're about to pay the bill. How can you self-advocate and let people know what you're doing in a way that's very matter of fact and really appropriate in timing so it doesn't feel awkward? I think the part about self-advocacy is like you do it once and if you feel awkward about it, you're like, I'm never doing that again. That was so painful. So you want to think like the really good waiter and how can you make sure that your contributions are known, that you are working behind the scenes to make something easier? Another tip on self-advocacy is send an FYI. Once a week or whenever you do something, send a quick FYI to the person on your team or your boss who you basically made their work easier or lighter because of something you did. So it might be like, hey, Jesse, I took care of that podcast outline for you. Not because Jesse asked me to, but I'm just letting Jesse know I did that so that you can focus on the other thing. So it's this very matter of fact. Do not say, hey, Josie, here's all the amazing things I've done. I'm hoping I'm going to get a lot of praise. I want to brag about it. It's more of this FYI, hey, wanted to let you know. And you don't have to like kill the person with the details, but that is another way that you can learn to self-advocate on a regular basis for yourself and make sure that your contributions are known at that organization with those people. Because what people say about you when you're not in the room is way more important than what they say about you when you're in the room. And 
you're basically feeding them the information that they can talk about you with. Now they know all the amazing things you're doing. Now they can talk about those and give examples. Self-advocacy sounds great. sounds like a big, important word, but we don't always know how to do it. And I really would encourage you to do it early and often in your career. And just like any other muscle, the more you do it, the stronger it will get. I personally need these tips for how to self-advocate. You know, I think of self-advocacy as meaning at your yearly review, you'll be like, these are all the things I did well. So then I'm feeling like I'm just asking to get a pat on the back. Like it just feels weird to be like, praise me. And then I think that also probably from the employer's perspective or from the boss's perspective, or they also aren't seeing it as your only self-advocate advocating when a raise is on the line or when you want you know, something like, when yeah. you want something so thank you lauren that was all <laughs> i love it <laughs> yeah okay and what is the next piece of advice that stood out to you okay have you ever heard the phrase eat the frog no eat the frog um is doing the work that you dislike the most or you're really not looking forward to first eat the frog in the mornings so there's a saying of learn how to eat the frog which is like basically learn how to do the work that you don't love doing probably early on my tip is to learn how to eat the frog but this is one of one of my favorite hacks quote unquote hacks to get ahead early on in your career because one of the things that you can do is observe your boss figure out what they hate doing and then learn to do it and take it off their plate it's a super easy win to basically say, okay, if I want to get ahead in my career, where can I start? Think about something that your boss dislikes doing. Is there a way, which would be like their frog, is there a way for you to take that off their plate for them? Is there a way for you to learn how to do it better and show them all the AI tools? Could you learn an AI tool that could make it take up less time or be automated for them? So think about um, when you're observing your boss, what takes up too much of their time? What do they hate doing? What unique skill can you offer to help? Then approach your boss with your data and your solution, something like, hey, I noticed that running those reports every Monday morning before the exact meeting is really slowing you down. I'd be happy to help and get those on your desk every Monday since I recently learned how to use the software. Um, do you want me to try it next week? We don't want to just start doing this. You always want to ask to make sure that that's something that's worth doing. Um, but it is one of the, like I said, easiest, quote, career hacks that you can do. And again, they haven't asked you to do this. One of the big things I've noticed in these top performers or invaluable contributors that really makes them invaluable versus indispensable to an organization. Indispensable, like we can't afford to lose you. Indispensable means why would we promote you? We don't have anyone who would take your job if you left. Invaluable is like, we can't afford to lose you, but we're going to help you grow and develop and move you around every part of this organization because you're invaluable and everywhere you go, you create value. It's the soccer player on the field who's like, I might play goalie, but I know what everybody's doing on the field versus the goalie who's like, I only play goalie and this is my little box and I literally stay in here, right? One person's indispensable. They're the best goalie, but the goalie who's invaluable can be moved around the field to do other things because they get it. They can be put anywhere. So think of yourself like that. You want to be invaluable, not indispensable to an organization. And so when you become this person who can swallow the frog or eat the frog for somebody else's work, you're doing the job that needs to be done, not the job that's being asked of you. And that's a really important criteria of successful people is they're able to look around on the field and say, where's the next play? What is actually really important to my boss right now? What is maybe the most impactful thing I can do on this team, even though this is my job description? Part of this is a mindset shift. Part of it is your behaviors, right? And this, what I'm describing is more of a behavioral thing where you go and you say, what job here needs to be done, even though it's not being asked of me, and how can I help and use my unique skills to to take this off that person's plate? 
Wow. That is such a good hack. Everyone listening should go eat the frog. That is such a good tip. I know that we've talked about how great it is that we're culture shifting to be more balance focused and more like well-rounded and encouraging employees and being supportive of employees, which obviously is so critical. But I think with that, like you said, the pendulum swinging, sometimes it does feel a little bit like, for example, I've been talking about this actually with other friends and other industries that like check-ins are typically the boss being like, how are you feeling? Like, what can I do for you? Because they're trying to foster that, which is so important. But I think being an employee to be proactive and be like, it's not just about what you're doing for me or, or me doing my job. It's about how can I go above and beyond to do things for you? And it's like that communal support yeah. and connection between employer, yes. employee, manager, managee. They call it upward empathy. We think of the manager having empathy for the person below them. But what about upward empathy? Do you have empathy for your boss who maybe doesn't have time to read those 40 emails that you just forwarded her? Instead, can you just summarize it? I actually just wrote a LinkedIn post. If anybody loves LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn. And I just put in there a bunch of tips on questions you can ask your manager in your one-on-one to make it way more than a status report. A lot of times one-on-one meetings with managers are like, what are you working on? But how can you take that and really turn it into a much bigger career conversation? So I just put a bunch of questions in there if anybody's interested. But yes, I encourage you all to think about these tips and then think about where you can put them into your career and how you can start working these behaviors into your everyday work life. Can you share one or two examples of those questions? Do you know off the top of your head? There's a bunch of categories that you could ask about. When you have those one-on-one times with your manager, you're not always going to have time to ask every question. So the categories might be asking for guidance or input. Sometimes you really need their input on a project. But maybe another category is clarifying priorities or expectations. Like, can you help me prioritize my tasks this week? But maybe you're clear on all those things. And really what you want is feedback on your performance. Or you want to build a relationship with them. And you ask your boss, on a scale of 1 to 10, How are things going for you right now? What are you the most excited about? What's the thing that is taking up the most of your time? We'll send you the post, Josie, and you can put it in the show notes. But the idea is that not that every category is going to get asked and you're just going to run through it. That would be way too long for a one-on-one. But today you might be asking questions related to seeking growth opportunities and career advancement. Or you might be asking questions about strategy. And it's good for you to think about making sure you're going above and beyond just here's what I'm working on and making sure they know what you're working on. Well, great. But you always want to make sure that the work that you're doing is aligned with what's important to them. And so when you have these one-on-ones, you can make sure that you are doing the impactful work because the impact in a company, when COVID hit, gets what the impact changed overnight for everybody. Whatever was important yesterday now isn't important. Companies do change a lot. What's important to your boss is changing on a regular basis. So if you're not asking these questions at all, you need to. And if you're not asking them often, you need to because you want to stay up to date so that you can make sure that the work you're doing creates an impact on the organization. It's not just like, oh, it's my job description. Again, it's the difference between being indispensable to an organization versus invaluable to an organization. Lauren, I'm not even kidding. That was some of the best advice I've ever heard in my (laughs) career. I'm not even just saying that. That was really powerful. Wow. The the mindset is really helpful for me of thinking of What more can you be doing, not in your job description, but how can you be actually helping your manager so that they are feeling the impact? I think sometimes it can get lost. You're trying to do more in in every day, but that focus of what can I take off the plate of my manager? 
because they'll feel that impact immediately. Oh my gosh. Okay. Next tip. Now I'm like, you have so many good ones. Tell me more. (laughs) Okay. The next one, number four is work hard first and smart later. I know that it's very trendy to say that working smart is all that matters. That's wrong because if you want to accomplish anything meaningful, you have to start by working hard. You have to build a reputation for hard work. You have to take pride in it. And then guess what you get to do? You get to start to build and leverage to work smart. And I want to add a note to this tip, which I already said, learning how to self-advocate for yourself early on because your hard work, again, needs to be received and perceived. None of us want to experience a tragedy that happens when hard workers have their impact and their contributions go unseen or unacknowledged. And unfortunately, this is way more common for women. Lean In does an amazing report with McKenzie every year. And one of their findings was that 37% of women leaders have had a coworker get credit for their idea compared to only 27% of male leaders. So it's very important that while you are working hard and building up that credibility to also make sure others know about it. And like I said, you can send that FYI, I also love like a weekly status report to your boss. Again, status reports as an email, great. Status reports as a meeting, it's like, why? You're, you're wasting your time. But we have the status report template on Career Contessa where you send it to your boss every Monday and every Friday. You basically let them know, here are the priorities I'm working on. Here are the second tier priorities. Here's what I got done this week. Maybe any questions you have. And it's a, basically a running list of what you're doing. So one, if your boss's priorities change, they can let you know right then and there. So you don't create a whole thing and then they tell you, great, but that doesn't matter anymore. The other nice thing about it is it becomes a paper trail for you. So you have it when you are thinking about what have I worked on? Performance reviews are always so funny because people are like, I have no idea what I did all year. (laughs) I'm like, I know. So you have that paper trail, but also it's that credibility of the working heart. So then you can leverage it to work smart later on. And you need those two pieces. So that is my fourth tip. It's, if you're working hard right now, there's no shame in that. Do not let some Instagram meme make you feel like, oh, I'm working hard and it's something wrong with me. Build that reputation of being a hard worker. It's never going to hurt you. Again, kind of swinging the pendulum of like finding that balance of having life outside of work, but then also being okay and taking ownership and loving what you do, being passionate about what you do, putting work into what you do. I had a friend in college who were talking about our internships and I will never forget she was like, they're making me go get coffee. So I'm going to quit. And I was like, it's an internship. Like you got to be putting in the, you have to earn your place. Like she was expecting to come in and have it be her dream job. And I think that's because we're a culture where we're like, work for your dream job. Don't settle for less, which again, awesome, like amazing. But it is finding that balance of, yeah, you should be working towards a job that you love. You should be passionate about what you do, but you also have to be putting in work to get there. Like you got to earn your stripes to get to where you want to be. That's a very good segue into my next tip, which is we you hear this all the time about dream jobs. And this is my feeling of the matter. Dream jobs are a myth. They simply do not exist. Instead, what I would encourage you to strive for is the good enough job. Part of what's happening is dream jobs. It's not just the job. It's the lifestyle that comes with the dream job. When people imagine a dream job, it doesn't have a hellish commute, doesn't have a toxic boss doesn't have a coworker who took credit for your idea. It doesn't have people asking you to go get coffee, right? And so the dream job is this gigantic myth that not only are we told that it exists, but that if you don't have one, shame on you, you're doing it wrong. You need to fix something about yourself. And so I want to just bust this mess wide open and say the dream job does not exist. And where we got these ideas, especially for the millennial generation and people who 
remember this. If you think about all the pop culture, think of how to lose a guy in 10 days. She lives in an amazing apartment. She's dating this amazing guy. She doesn't work at all. She has a dream job. Like everything you saw in magazines and TV and whatever also gave this perception. I can remember wanting to be like, woman running through the airport with stilettos and in the scent and like again like this is just you know, just so visions you have right like yeah. now you're like i would never do that even if i could it's not just the dream job it's this dream life and similar to how one partner is not going to be your dream partner for the rest of your life and it's going to check off every box you cannot have that expectation on your job and your work and where i think we get into hot water with this is that we have very unrealistic expectations and it leads us to this expectation hangover where I thought I was going to get the dream job or I got the dream job and it's not what I thought it was going to be. And so our expectations are not aligned and, and not set up to be truly in a place to, to ever fulfill us. And so I don't want you to get in this rat race where you're on the treadmill just trying to keep up and you're always striving for more and more and more because that is not the way to a fulfilling life. People who are fulfilled are able to Look around and be like, I really enjoy this thing. Yeah, I had to work hard for this, but this is how this aligns with my values. And this is why this is a good fit for me. Even if you run your own business or you are the CEO of a company, nothing is perfect. The grass is always greener somewhere else. People always think, I'll leave this and I'll go do something else. But then that becomes truly just like their life is jumping from thing to thing. So what I would encourage you to do is right now, ditch the idea that the dream job even exists and said, focus on the good enough job. Now, the next question is, what is a good enough job? <laughs> so the good enough job is a paid position with relatively enjoyable work that allows you to live your life comfortably, but isn't your entire world or more importantly, your entire identity. And too many of us, myself included, have fell into this ambition trap where our identities are defined by our networks, our networks, and our job titles. And I can tell you that does not help you become a more confident person when your identity is tied to those things. It does not help you become a healthier person, a more successful person, or a more fulfilled person. In fact, the drivers that make people the happiest in their careers has nothing to do with job title, brand that they work with, how much money they make. It has to do with the relationships, their autonomy. So who you work with, what your autonomy is at work. So how much ownership do you have over your own schedule or the projects you're working on? Those are the things that drive happiness in the workplace more than these other things. So my last and final tip is stop thinking that dream jobs, one, exist and that you're chasing them. And two, instead, go for the good enough job. I was thinking that when you were giving this tip, I was thinking we have this idea that we're going to have the perfect partner and there's one person out there for us. But when we have that idea, there's only one soulmate, then we're focusing on the things that we're missing because we're constantly yeah. looking through the lens of, well, this person doesn't play guitar or whatever it is. We'll look at the little things that they don't have rather than focusing on what they do. Yep. So if we look at that as our job, if we are thinking there's never going to be the most perfect, the most dream job, everything has its cons, then we can focus on what's good about it, what we love about it, instead of looking for better. You have much more realistic expectations, right? So you go to a job and you're like, hey, I'm actually really happy here versus the person who like can't be happy anywhere they go. And if you take yourself wherever you go, if that's part of your mindset and your behavior, it's just going to go with you to the next place too. We all know those people, maybe you people listening are one of those people you're realizing that will never be happy at every job that are like, I hate mm -hmm. this company for XYZ. They go to the next company. I hate this company for XYZ. They'll never be happy 
And that comes from you. That's not because you keep finding these shitty companies or maybe it is. I don't know, not to be unfair, but I would say for most of the time, like it is the attitude that you're bringing in the way that you're viewing your environment that's impacting you and it only negatively affecting you. I was going to say, if if you're feeling like we're talking about you and you're like, where do I start? I would start on getting really clear on what are your values and wherever you decide to work next, or maybe you want to stay with your company and move to a different department. I would say being aligned with the values. So that was the other thing that drives happiness at work is who you work with, your autonomy, and then also values. So getting very crystal clear on what are your values and then how do they relate? And we have a, a podcast episode that I did with um, a professor on this. I can um, send it to you, Josie, and you can put it in the show notes. But she talks a lot about examples of this might be your value and how does that relate to a workplace and how can you learn about that? Does the company culture offer this? Does the boss offer that? So there's hope 100%. There are plenty of people out there who genuinely like their job. That does not mean it's their dream. They do not wake up and say, if I didn't get paid to do this, I would just do it anyways. There's plenty of people that's not them. That's okay too. Yeah, that's a really good point. That sounds really interesting. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Okay, Lauren, we are going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. First question for you, your go-to coffee order. I'm now a decaf iced coffee person. So I love coffee, but I'm not allowed to have caffeine, but I'm not giving it up. (laughs) I am also a decaf queen and I love it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I love that. Favorite productivity hack? Walking. So, well, standing desk and a walking pad have been my productivity hacks. I love things where I can do two things at once, but then also just walking has been, for me, really life-changing. It makes you so much more productive. Like it really, your creativity is different. Your energy is different. Yeah, a money affirmation or rule that you live by. I am enough. Oh, great one. I have another one too. Even though I'm enough is the one I've like gone to all the time. But I had one that I heard from someone on a webinar we did the other day. And it was, it's this or something better. And that has really stuck with me also because I love the positive outlook of that. Like it's this or something better. Wow, I'm gonna say that to myself a lot. It's this. I know, right? I love, I love both of those. I'm enough, and this is something better. A book that has changed your life. My own book, Power Moves. Yes, I'm gonna plug it because I, I want you guys to get it, and I think it's really good. But also, it changed my life because writing that book was the hardest, most challenging thing I've ever done in my life. Like writing sixty thousand words, where every word has meaning having to do it while working, like truly, I look at that book and I'm always so proud of it. Not just because I know it has really good career advice, but because for me, it was such a struggle. And it's a reminder of like, you think this thing is hard to remember when you had to write an entire book and you did it. So for me, that has changed my life for sure. And it's such a massive accomplishment. Lauren, where can people find you, get Career Contessa, social media, get the book, all the things? We are on every social media platform at Career Contessa. Made it nice and easy for you. Our website is careercontessa.com. You can find me, Lauren McGoodwin, on LinkedIn, where I also post general career advice. And then my book that you can buy wherever books are sold is Power Milks. And I have a podcast called the Career Contessa podcast, similar to you. We made it very simple for you to find us. And we interview career experts every Tuesday to help you be more healthy, successful, and fulfilled in your career. Thank you so much, Lauren. I loved all of your tips. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Weren't her tips so good? 
You can catch me on the Career Contessa podcast coming out on November 21st. So listen to our conversation there. And don't forget to leave a review if this episode brought you any value or if you're liking the show in general. Have a great one and we'll talk to you next week. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.